You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever the hell time it is where you are. (laughs) Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. This is Susan Simmons. You're, I don't even know what I am today. (laughs) Your host, your co-host, your whatever. I'm just here today. (laughs) Someone talking on the radio. That's it. (laughs) Trying to talk about something. Uh, And with me, of course, is my co-host, you know what? We need to start using your name now. Tom Hobble. It's true. The man with the killer boots, or used to be. I still have a pair of them. Also known as TomTheBomb.com. <laughs> yeah, I did have to laugh about what was said to you yesterday on that conference call about your tight boots. Yep. Yeah, and then Tom comes back with a comment about he doesn't know how to wear his pants outside of his boots. That was a new experience. <laughs> Um, the mood feels wrong. uh, Yeah. It probably looks wrong to you too, but we can get you some knickers. Let's get you some knickers. Um, It'll feel, it'll have the same feel to it. Won't quite do the justice. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. We're going to have to do some Photoshopping here, but, uh, today's podcast is going to have a little bit different tone to it than we've had in a while. It's, uh, you know, it's hard to describe what today is. It's, it's, uh, very significant day with very mixed emotion. Um, as this no, is, I don't think there's any mixed emotion. Well, yeah, I'm a little pissed off at him at times, well, but you know, and then happy for him. Well, that's yeah, I, okay, to, I'll give it to, to you. Know, yeah, he got to go early. Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and we'd already had that conversation, but uh, this is the anniversary of our former co host, Chris Farrar's. Uh, I don't even like to call it a death because he was murdered. He he didn't just die. He was deliberately targeted and killed because he was in uniform, not because he was crisp, but because he was in a uniform. And uh, we are very honored today to have his mother with us, Linda. And I know this has been a, well, this has been a year for both of us of not knowing if we were coming or going. Uh, Linda is a, an amazing woman and mother that I am honored that she will let me call myself mom too. Hey, you know what? What? It's her fault. I came to see you. (laughs) Uh, It is. (laughs) I remember that day. But wait a minute. We can't take Chris off the hook. This is ultimately Chris's fault. Well, that's true. Okay. If he was she here, takes a part in it, though. Yeah, but she was the she was the catalyst. So whenever you get tired of putting up with me, just remember I'm the one that said. <laughs> yeah, but it's like his wife is complaining because I've got him doing chores here too and running around to meetings and stuff with me. And I told her, I said, you know, Tracy got to learn to get on Tom's calendar. So I got him a calendar this morning. It came this morning, and I said, you know, I'm sorry, spouses just have to. That's right. To get on the calendar, too. and Make an appointment. Yeah. But as I had told her after he puts the fans up in my house this weekend, I think she and I need to have a spa day for all the hard work <laughs> you've done at my house. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe we'll take Linda and, and Becky uh, 
the women will have a spa day while you work and okay. move furniture and do whatever it is you have to do. All right. If that's what has to be done. I think that's only fair. I, uh, I heard it. And it's on recording. <laughs> yes, so. it is. We have this memorialized. <laughs> I ain't stupid. I'll just play with the dogs. Yeah. But, you know, I woke up this morning and the first thing I thought was, if only I'd known. Yep. Kind of goes along with that song. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. it does. <laughs> So you're going to hear a lot of emotion today. You'll hear a lot of laughter because we can't talk about Chris and not laugh. laugh. The jokes he has played, the things he has done, he continues to harass me. For some reason, that man wants me to learn Spanish. Only because <laughs> I think he wants to hear what a Southern accent sounds like. A Southern Spanish accent. Yeah. Yes. No, yeah. That, that would mm. be. Wonder what y'all sounds like in Spanish. <laughs> Wonder what that converts to, but. I don't think it does. Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. But Tom and I just came back, too, from Heber. We've got to talk about that a little bit, which, for those of you not from Arizona, is about two and a half hours northeast East. of the Phoenix and the Valley. And, yeah, it was quite a— Up um, in the mountains. Yes, it was quite a temperature change. We left here in the 90s and got up there and— that the next morning, it was in the 30s. 30s, with wind gust of 50 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. And an, another first in my life at 63, after 30 years of teaching. I thought law enforcement had thrown everything at me. Yeah, I, I know. know better. I should never yeah, say right. that. We got to teach on a screened-in porch. It was really a Kwanzaa hut, but <laughs> yeah. it was like a screened-in porch. There were screens on all four sides with uh -huh. a screen door on one side and a screen door and on the opposite side. blew right through it. And so <laughs> there, it's kind of a Southern modification. We would do this in the South. They put up black, look like trash bags, basically, right. in strategic locations, not closing in the whole thing. So Yeah, to try to help cut down the wind. I'm going to say, was that for the wind or yeah, was that for they, the heat? And they taped Oh, no, there it. was no heat. I know. Yeah, they taped <laughs> the trash bags up there, which the wind was blowing so strong, ripped through the tape. And yes, so the, and then the bags would The rattle. bags would just flap. And... So as we're trying to talk, we have bags <laughs> rattling, but we did have PowerPoint. We had power. Yeah, we did. We did. And the PowerPoint worked finally. It took us a little while to get the... Right connection because yeah. they had the Stone Age connection. Yes, they did for their projector. and. So next time I'll bring everything I own, including the kitchen sink. But we had a heater, but I didn't even pull it out. It wasn't worth it. I was afraid the thing was yeah. going to burn down if I brought a space heater yeah. in. And uh, But boy, did we have fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was Got called Sarcon. It was right. Search and Rescue I don't know. something. But it was mostly volunteers from sheriff's departments that go out and do search and rescue. Right. They had the dogs up there. Didn't get to hang out with them any, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it was a really it was a really good group. Yeah, I mean, especially for just a bunch of civilians that want to go out and help, and they go through this training, a basic academy for search and rescue. Yeah, we found some really good resources. We got a guy who's a meat cutter, right here in the valley. <laughs> yeah, I see use of that. Um, and then we had somebody fix his cars, right. but he's kind of far. Yeah, he's a little far for us. Um, and then we had a computer person or IT. IT. Yeah. Might have to hire her. Uh, no, we got Becky. Yeah, Becky will have. Um, but yeah, it was, um, uh, and they were very thirsty for right. this stuff. And so now we're going to be adding a division of our stress coaching for search and rescue. 
because we've always said it was first responders. Technically, they are their civilian right. first responders, though. And it just had never occurred to us because we've never taught that group before. So we have some of them that are probably going to come to the stress coach certification in June, which Linda will be a part of also. I'll be there, too. I'll just let you teach it. I think I'll go on vacation. Oh, I thought maybe you were going to tell him he has to do it twice because he well, didn't he get it the first should. time. Oh, yeah. He probably should. Um, but, yeah, so and we've already got some uh, from Sheriff's Department in Alabama talking about coming. And, you know, last time we had him from Boston, Massachusetts, a trooper in New Jersey. And so now we'll have some search and rescue people. And. And then we had a great conference call yesterday with a group that we just contracted with here in Arizona um, that we are now providing stress coaching and training to all sheriff's deputies and detention and their comm people for 13 of the 15 counties, everybody but Maricopa and Pima who are self-insured, so they're not part of this risk pool. And um, so we think we'll get some of them on board. And hopefully get a few more out of Border Patrol. And that company's called ASIP? ASIP. Arizona yep. County Insurance Board. Yes. And they are partnering up with Arizona Municipal Risk Retention Pool, the other group that handles the municipal um, PD fire dispatch. So, yeah, so we're pretty much going to be running all over the state of Arizona yeah, for the next Yeah, we're going to be busy this yes. next year. And we're excited about it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah. We get in our new office July 1st. We hope that's the plan. <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. Yeah. And uh, and then we're gone a lot in July. Yeah, we'll be busy. So we're happy to say that Linda will be coming to work for us July first. We're gonna keep her busy. <laughs> she's gonna be one of our stress coaches, but she's also gonna be in charge of all fundraising. Yeah. So, power to you. Yeah. So I'll twist your arm. Money, yes, she money. will. Yes, she will. She's little, but hey. Yeah, but you won't mess with her. Don't, don't even, don't even try. It's Chris's mom. <laughs> so We're, we we are really happy and honored to have you here. I know you. this is not an easy day for you or for any of us or the family, but I felt like there was no other way to do this podcast today about anything else, right. but Chris. Since he was, no matter who would have come in, we would end up talking about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there'll be a, a, a gathering tonight where he was killed. And we don't even know how many people. It started with me telling Linda and Bill I was going to be there on the bench. And they said, well, we want to come. And 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 right. I think it I think it's a huge tribute right. to Chris, everybody that wants to come. Yeah, It's definitely growing, that's for sure. And Phoenix is going to fly their helicopter over if they don't get called to something. And with the way things are in Phoenix right now. Who knows? Might get called to go over headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a story I need to talk to you about. I'm not going to do that on oh, air. Okay. But anyway, yeah, it took every bit of self-control. I had not to to post something, <laughs> a response on Facebook to something. But, you know, the officers are just getting hammered over there. And it they really need prayers at Phoenix PD especially. They really need people that at too. Phoenix PD. Yes, that too. And... um. So anyway, welcome, Linda. Thank Is this you. your first podcast? Yes. Oh, she's a podcast virgin. <laughs> and it won't be I her was. last. 
<laughs> it won't be her last. No. She'll no. be in the office. We'll be dragging her into podcasts once we get the studio set up. And right, because I'm sure at some point we're going to have to do something about fundraising. And... Hey, Linda, come on That's in. Right. Yeah, <laughs> get in here. And yeah, if, I can't remember if I've told you we are going to name the studio the Chris Ferrar Studio. Yes, you did. And we're excited about getting that set up and and up and running and having his name on the door and all over the lobby and everywhere else in the office actually probably should have two signs what should they be the chris for our studio and then the other one should be in spanish (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) yeah what linda's referring to is chris has been messing with me he my whole phone my phone went completely to spanish right after he died and verizon didn't even know how it happened and then he set my computer a few weeks ago to proofing everything in spanish and my IT person was like, Susan, there's no way you accidentally did this. Then I'm watching TV the other day, and all my commercials on my Roku start going to Spanish. Have you got subtitles in Spanish yet? <laughs> no, but I probably should. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to figure that out. Right. Now that you've mentioned it, right. he'll work on that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, don't pay attention to them, Chris. Ignore all of this. And yeah, then this morning, of course, he had to set the bells and whistles off at another friend of ours who's a... Lieutenant Tempe set their house alarm off, apparently yep. four o'clock this morning. Again, that would be Chris rubbing our nose in that he's in a great yeah, place. Like, hey, yeah, it's don't my day. Where I am? That's right, it's my day. Rub <laughs> our nose in it. Yeah. And uh, so, tell me, tell us how you're doing, Linda. Let's talk about the last year. Oh, uh, been crazy. It's been a crazy one. Has very up and down, major up and down. But you know, one but, thing I love about you and and Bill is that you have the ability to laugh with all of us because that's who Chris was. Yeah. He was a dork, but he was our dork and we loved him. Yep. And that's what he would want. Yes. Uh, Even like uh, where they, the fundraiser at the roadhouse, mm -hmm. James, who's the manager there. Mm -hmm. When I went in the last time, he's like, oh, he gave me a hug. He said, I am so happy to see that smile. He Mm -hmm. never knew me before the fundraiser. Sure. And he said, I know, he said, I didn't know Chris, but just hearing mm-hmm. all the stories about him, I know that's what he would want for you. Absolutely. So. It, he, he would be mad at us crying down here, but you know what? There are times I'm mad at him and I don't really care what he thinks. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. I want to cry, I'm going to cry. Exactly. Yeah. But you just don't hear many, especially where it's a line of duty death, um, where families really are able to kind of joke and kid around about him and the things that he did because that, but that's who he was. Yep. Yep. I know there's still stuff in my house hidden that I'll, I'll <laughs> haven't I found just, yet. I haven't needed it yet. Yep. Yep. No. And that's one thing that we noticed when we started looking back through all the pictures mm-hmm. was his smile. Yes. Always smiling, except I did have, there's a lady at Chandler regional that wanted pictures. So I had sent one of them was, or actually two of them, was I said, these are serious pictures, and you didn't see that very often. I don't think I've ever seen We used like, I, one of them was a fake serious. Oh. You could tell. Yeah. yeah. But, and then Angela had one that he was at his rental house, and he had his glasses on, and he wasn't smiling. He was giving that studious look. She said, you didn't see that very often, so. Yeah, maybe he was mad about something. Yeah. <laughs> Could be. I don't know. Or Phoebe was probably doing something that he wasn't happy with. Yeah, we'll have to talk about Phoebe, Chris's dog. Uh, uh, that's, yeah, that's another one. Um, 
But, you know, he just always had that grin on his face that you had to go, what have you done? What yeah. have you been up to? Mm-hmm. Trust me, I grew I- <laughs> Was he you that raised like that. I raised that. But was like, he that okay. way his whole life? Oh, yes. From baby on up? Yes. Lord help you. Well, Brian, his older brother, was 10 days late. And I always said he'd be late to his funeral, <laughs> own funeral. Chris was a week early. And it, it, that stayed that way his entire life. Sure. He was always. Go get her. Yeah, yes. And moving. Yes. And his nickname was Stitch growing up. Was it really? Oh, yes. How did I miss all of this? This is it. All of these things I'm finding out now are stuff I needed. I know. As Yes. I could have used this stuff eight, nine years ago. I think it started when he was like 18 months old. <laughs> he fell down his grandma's Ferrar's back steps. Wow. Stitches, of course. Chris and steps. Mm, yeah. yeah. That's a real problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm seeing a pattern. Mm. And then. You didn't do a very good job teaching him how to go up and down steps. No, apparently. I didn't. No. <laughs> or tuck and roll. Yeah. Right. Mm. <laughs> and then I think we were out in Colorado Springs, my mom and I and the kids. Mm-hmm. And he stood up in the stroller and the stroller went back and he went, got his chin. That's the, uh, well, the one time that he got his chin for this, the sutures and the scars that are there. In the emergency room. Well, I think the first time we met, it was an emergency room. Oh, probably. Because, you know, and and that was always the funny part. Who got called first? Yeah. (laughs) I always told her it was her. I was sure. (laughs) Whether I knew or not. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure it was you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But boy, it was, uh, yeah. I know a while back you were saying something about, boy, I I miss him so much. I said, I know. I think we need to just go to the emergency room and sit because we spent (laughs) so much reminisce at the emergency room. (laughs) That sounds like a fun day. Chandler Regional. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But that's true. That's we spent a lot of time there. (laughs) When did he first tell y'all he wanted to go in law enforcement? Because he worked for a hospital first. He did. He was an EMT, emergency room tech. Okay. And he had talked about law enforcement before that, but Becky was not real. That was his first wife. Right. Was not really for that. She was too, I don't know. Smart lady. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm going to lose this guy. He's going to change. Yeah. Uh And then after they got divorced, then we started hearing it more and more and more. See, so, I don't think I realized that. I think I thought he was in law enforcement already while they were married. No. Because he never really talked. You know, you'd get you'd get spurts of information from him about the hospital. And because I've known him a number of years before I ever even knew he worked at a hospital. And that came out. I was like, oh, you in a hospital. I, no, no, uh-uh, no. You coming at me with a needle? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he got that far. But... Probably not. And so did he just walk in one day and go, hey, I applied at Chandler, or I don't even know if he applied multiple places. Uh, I don't think so. I think it was just Chandler. No, but he when he came in and, and said that he was going to go to the academy, we weren't surprised. Really? It was just, mm-hmm. No, not at all. Well, and you know, the thing about Chris, he was, he wasn't typical law enforcement, but I think he's what a lot of law enforcement officers should be. And a lot of them probably are. We just don't know it. Right. Where he could really have the humor. He could have compassion. And, but my, the stories I'm hearing about him, I have to laugh every time I turn on any kind of a cop show at all. And, 
and somebody's running and somebody comes across them and they don't <laughs> see them coming and hits them. That's the stories I always heard. Chris flying through the yeah. air to tackle somebody. Yeah. And but he was such a go-getter though. Yeah. He had to be right in the mix of everything. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And um, you know, you and I were even talking about this not too long ago. We have to talk about his dark days because I think that's what Chris really wanted people to know that he went through some really dark times, but came through them. Yes. And it really and truly, even though I didn't know you and Bill at the time, I knew y'all talked to him a lot. He talked to his dad every day, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Except for that dark time. Right. He drew away. He pulled away from all of us then. Yes. And when he made the statement to me in one of our sessions and he said, Something to the effect of he hadn't talked to his family in quite a while. That was the first real big, whoa, this is really going down a bad road. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because he was very close to his family. He loved his mom and dad. And he always talked about the thing that he loved most about you guys as a couple was how y'all would go dancing every weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was something that would be a part of, any relationship he would have. I don't know if he did when he was married. Yes. When they, yeah. In fact, when we used to, when we first started dancing and going, we had probably 35, 36 of us. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them were Chris and his friends and our friends and and everybody. And it was just a lot of good memories. Yeah. I got to go with him one time to a place in downtown Phoenix. And uh, Hogue was with us. He was dating Sheila. And it was a place that y'all used to go. He said y'all used to go. It's a real small, very small place. I mean, it was packed. In Phoenix? Uh-huh. And Mr. Uh, Lucky's? I don't know. Midnight Rodeo? I'd know it if I saw it. Cheyenne Cattle Company? Oh. <laughs> Are you telling us you ran the streets of Phoenix a lot, oh, huh? Apparently. <laughs> Anywhere they had dancing, we were there. That's funny. But yeah, it was fun. It was fun to watch him out there acting crazy like he would do. And he'd mm-hmm. turn around and shake his butt at me. And yeah. I was like, Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that dark side, you know, how did you and Bill handle that? Not very well. Um, we'd talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember, I think it was kind of the catalyst from listening to his first podcast. Mm-hmm. Because I said, there is something, something really going wrong. And I said, Chris is pulling away, and I it's not a good feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's when I sent him that text saying, I don't know what's going on, but I'm here if you need to talk. He called me and told me that you had texted that. Yeah. And how long do you think it was before he started to reach back out to y'all? Uh, gosh, I don't know. That So much has happened since I then. Know. I'm guessing maybe a couple months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that whole thing, and I don't think Chris would change one thing about that dark time. No. Because he learned so much from it, and he was able to help so many people from it. And I know I've said this before on one of the podcasts, I'm sure, because, um, you know, he, he he was a major player in this organization and always will be. Uh, as long as I'm a, around anyway, but he he wouldn't call me and wake me up in the middle of the night over the guy that he chased and 
Tackled. Arrested, that, yeah, tackled midair. Unless he was going to the hospital. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And then it was usually a lieutenant that would call, Susan, he's here again. And um, But he would call and wake me up and go, you're not going to believe what I just got to do. What, Chris? And he'd go, I just got to sit on the side of the bed of a 23-year-old who was uh, suicidal and share my story. And he said, and I know it made a difference. Right, but and because that's what, Everybody in law enforcement wants to do. They want really down at their core. They want to help somebody. Sure. And anytime you can actually see that result, because so often you don't see that. Yeah. It, it's, Even though it may happen, yeah. but you don't see it. Exactly. I mean, it, it touches your heart and you want to share that type of stuff with people. Sure. But most of the regular citizens don't understand that. But and then I, most of law enforcement don't want to do that for themselves. Right. Because right. they think there's such a stick. Chris went through that. Oh, yeah. He went through hell. Yes. For that, because he reached out for help. Right. And he got smacked for it. Yes, he did. So. Multiple times, we might add. Yeah, multiple times. But he never let it stop him. Nope. The perseverance that he had in carrying that, it's like he had that torch and he was not going to give it up and not let it go out. Yep. And I think that's the sad part about most and Angela, his sister, we were just talking about that. She said, "Why is it people have such a bad view of getting help and going to therapy?" She said, "Even if you don't have anything going on, major, major, it just kind of resets your. Mm-hmm. You come out stronger. Yes. Well, the so problem what's wrong is. With that? Well, the problem is, is that it's dangerous in the first responder right. world. It is. It's, and I think that's something that Angela may not have even thought about, but." It, you know, there's such risk in asking for help because it's it depends on who you're, whose office you're walking into as to how right. they interpret what you're saying. It's not supposed to be that way, but it's human nature that a lot of them get really anxious about police officers and guns and being suicidal. But yet that wasn't even the first way Chris wanted to kill himself. No. Had nothing to do with the gun. They could have taken his gun. Right. He hospitalized himself even before that mm-hmm. and then was going to jump off an overpass. <laughs> well, that's what cracks me up about the mental health people is they think that just because we have a gun, we're going to use it. Right. Well, there's a lot more ways to kill yourself. If that's if you're determined to do that, the gun can be the last thing. The other part that always interests me, and I'm not sure where it came from, because I don't think there's any supporting data that departments feel like if an officer is suicidal, it also means they're going to be homicidal and possibly come to the PD. And I don't understand that either because there's no, there's nothing in the research I can find and certainly nothing in all the ones I've dealt with. If someone is going in the law enforcement industry is going to be homicidal uh, and then suicidal, you won't know it till it's done. Right. And the suicidal part, a lot of times I think is in response to the homicidal part. But it isn't like an officer that suicidal is suddenly going to go, I think I'll just go pull a, go postal at a police right. department. Unless, you know, unless the department is thinking that they're going to do suicide by cop. Right. Type situation. And there have been a few of those, but not right. at headquarters. No. And so I, I just think we almost are, we overreact so much that, and they, and police officers see how even the public is treated that's suicidal. That there's not really, they don't get a good impression of the help where they take the general public. 
Right, because all we do is scoop them up, take them to whatever mental health facility is, and we drop them at the door and say, here you go. And they're back out, and you're back going to them again in a week or two, a month, or whatever. So there's many factors to it. And again, I have to say, we're not criticizing the licensed mental health world. They have their rules, regulations, how they do things. They're way overworked, especially COVID and own. Um, but my criticism of them is that if you want to work with law enforcement, first responders and uh, military, you better know that population. And this is what we were talking about with somebody the other day, I think over the weekend. And I said, if I were a chief or a sheriff, scary, scary thought. I don't know if the the world's ready for that. (laughs) Oh, come on. Let's have a little fun here. That's Armageddon. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we've already. You all are again. Um, I would go down the EAP list and every one of them, I would say, we'd love to have you on board, but you're going to do firearms training. You're going to do so many ride-alongs per year. Um, I want you around these guys and gals. Uh, I want them to get to know you. You get to know them. And I have told many counselors around this country that wanted to work with law enforcement, especially the females, I said, if you really want to have an impact and them get to know you and you them, get in a car at night with a male cop, get in the front seat, and shut your mouth. In the dark, (laughs) they'll start riding around. And they'll start talking about the hamsters their parents buried when they were three and the goldfish that got flushed when they were seven. And then they'll start riding you around to every I did this over here. Yep. (laughs) And by the end of the eight, 10, 12-hour shift, I remember getting out of cars and and them going, see, Susan, I told you I don't need that bullshit you're offering. I'm going, yeah, okay, whatever. (laughs) And I'm thinking, buddy, you just emptied your garbage in for the last however many hours. But it's the best. In the daytime, they can be distracted. Mm -hmm. But at night in the dark, silence, woo, they will start running that mouth. So why don't police departments just hire a psychologist? A lot of them do. And then make them go out and be and interact and get to understand the population that they're working. That's the problem. They do hire the psychologist. Right. But they put them at a different level and don't expect... And, you know, this was something we were talking about, too. And Chris and I had talked about this numerous times. He really, this was something he really liked. He didn't like everything I said, but he did like this. (laughs) But I talked about how to be a sports psychologist. You get your Ph.D. and then you have to specialize in kinesiology and that. And he understood that having coached girls softball much as he did. And um, I said, so if. If sports psychologists, if athletes need specialization in the mental health field, why wouldn't our tactical athletes? And that's our police and fire and military. And he was like, wow, that really makes a whole lot of sense. And to me, that specialization is getting out, riding. I did a full SWAT school. I did hostage negotiation training. I got indoctrinated in hostage negotiation (laughs) Um, boy, did they get me, and they it was early on, and they caught me off guard. I was set up like nobody's ever seen, <laughs> but that's okay. I learned a lot. Uh, but, you know, even as well as I knew Chris, I did a ride-along with him, gosh, in probably less than a year before he was killed. And 
even being out in the car with him to watch him see homeless people that would approach his car because and, and every time he'd pull out a banana or an apple, they knew he was going to have that for them. Mm-hmm. Knew him by name. And he talked to him as if they were his best friend. And he always had and knew where they would be. And he always had whatever it was they liked to give to him. Mm-hmm. I'd never knew that about him. He, that was not something mm-hmm. he ever talked about. There's a lot of things he didn't right. talk about. Yeah. Like, I think Jeremy said he didn't even know Chris had gotten some of the awards that he had gotten. Connor, his own kids, didn't know. No, he just, he didn't. Yeah. And I well, think. Well, I mean, he didn't like to blow his own horn. No. You know, it's like. If somebody else wants to blow it, then that's exactly right. Yeah, he'll yeah. Puff, he would puff his chest but, out and take it proudly. But he wouldn't go out of his way to tell you how great he is. Right. Well, and the funny thing well, is. Well, sometimes he did. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those were always the things I questioned. Yeah, exactly. You did what? <laughs> yeah, right. Sure you did. But Linda and I have talked over this year of the people that have come out that would come up and say, I was Chris's best friend. He must have had a thousand best friends. Or he, the people that he contacted. I'm like, how did he keep in contact with all these people? It's, yeah. I mean, it's. And none of us knew. Yeah. Right. But when you, whenever you talk to Chris, he made you feel like you were. The most important. The most important thing. person at that time. You were, yes. you were always on his mind. It seemed like, I mean, yes. you were. Yep. You, I mean, if you were his friend, you were his best friend. Absolutely. When he was talking to you. Well, he would listen. Right. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't just, oh. Right. All right. You know, hurry, I got to go. Yeah. And that's what made him such a great stress coach here. Because I never called him and said, hey, I got somebody in North Arizona that I think you need to talk to. Okay, let me pull over. And, or let me get off this call. Or he'd text him and say, I'm going to be free in 10 minutes. And then he'd call him. I got phone calls after he died, people were calling I didn't even know he was working with, which doesn't matter because I don't need to know them all. But he started to develop his own clientele because one would tell somebody else, hey, you got to talk to this officer down in Chandler. Mm-hmm. So there were people he was helping I didn't even know. And that's why it really hit me after he was gone. The workload really <laughs> almost quadrupled on me and i'm going dang he was doing a lot more than i thought he was damn it where you know um but he he was amazing and just had that natural ability and i think that's what a lot of police officers have right they just don't necessarily have an outlet to use it in a positive way mm-hmm. to get results within their own population right cuz every on a daily basis everything you go to is it's the worst situation for that person because they're getting contacted by the police. So it's always negative. Yes. It's so rare that we ever get involved in something that's positive. But I know in all the ride-alongs that I did with Chris, I know, and I didn't notice it so much then until he got killed. And then you look back on all this stuff. Sure. We could go to something and it would be really serious. I, you know, mom stay in the car, to, you know, or whatever. Or, okay, you can come on in or whatever. Or, and but in the next minute, we were laughing about yeah. something because of something right. that happened. So, yeah. I mean, it's like a switch that could be turned on and off. And it was just well, it was amazing to watch. He had so many outlets also because he did have so many different types of friends. And and then with his coaching, with his rac, uh, racquetball, 
with his hiking. You know, he had a lot of outlets. Chris never really had a lot of garbage in his garbage can from calls. Um, his really was became pretty full there when everything, the perfect storm brewed together and he had the broken jaw and he had AFib and he had a divorce. and It started when his friend got killed and, yes. and, and then her husband killed himself. Yeah, so the guilt from that, that was... really, really got him that he should have, could have, would have, but he did everything that he could. Yeah, it, it, he did, but he had a heart. I know even and probably what two years before he got killed i think mm -hmm. he was talking to me about it and he mm -hmm. said i'm writing a letter to laura mom yes. and he said man it's really tough yep and he was typing it and he was telling me that's one thing he talked to me he better about not have been typing i told him he needed to handwrite that thing all right now i got something else i gotta talk to him about <laughs> cats on the back <laughs> but and and that was i think when he finally let it go that he could not have helped Mm -hmm. any more than what he did. Well, there were just so many things he wanted to say to her that last night. Yeah. And he and he did everything he could, but she wasn't going to change her direction. No. And so he gave her the best advice that he could give her, but there was so much more he wanted to say. And and that was the thing about Chris. It, 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 he used to crack me up, especially when the protest came out here. And they started talking about coming in to the suburbs and things. And um, when the whole COVID thing first started, and I remember him calling me one day and he said, you know, he goes, Susan, you got all those police signs and stuff in your front yard. And I said, yeah. And he goes, you might want to take those down. I said, no, I think I'm going to put more. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, well, will you do me at least one favor? And I said, sure. What? And he goes, back your car into the garage <laughs> in the event you and Heidi need to, to leave. And he was probably thinking more about Heidi, the German shepherd, than me. Um, and yeah. I, I said, uh, you know, okay, that I can do. And he he said, call us if something's going down. He goes, now, we're all going to be laughing about can we get there before she handles it herself. <laughs> and I said, you'll be the first to know. And he was always thinking that way of other people. I know, like when they were going to have him around Chandler mm -hmm. Mall and everything, he always called us and told us everything. He said, now, don't go here. Don't go yes. there, you know. Or I can remember when, uh, I think it was when Carlos got killed. Mm -hmm. uh, I can remember we were driving northbound on Arizona Avenue, almost to the 202, and we got a phone call. And it was just, he said, there's been a shooting. I'm okay. Bye. <laughs> or I think he said, I'm, I love you. Bye. And then his wife at the time called us and I said, yeah, Chris. And he was always so conscientious of that because, and then one time he tells the story of, they used to have the um, numbers on the top of the right. cars. They don't yeah. now anymore, do they? Some oh, places do, but yeah. not everybody. Because uh, there was something on TV and it was his car. <laughs> so he says, I think they took that off so my mom wouldn't be worried, you know. Funny. I know at the academy, the one that they honored Chris, the 49th graduating yeah, class. Yeah. yeah. That's what one of afterwards, the one they presented us with the shirts and everything, they said, you know, what'd you think when he was told you he wanted to be a police officer? And we're like, well, prayed every day mm -hmm. for his safety. But I said, his dad and I, 
can honestly say. There you go. Chris died doing what he loved. Absolutely. And I have no, I mean, I know that right. in my heart. Yes. Yep. He I, loved the job. He loved he did. his job. He did. And when they took that away from him for those nine months, that was pure hell for it him. It was. Pure hell. But one, I, I got to get out of the series and get into the, one of the things, and he probably didn't tell anybody, when he lived with us for those six months after he was in the hospital, they didn't want him to live by himself. Yep. He couldn't sleep at night. So at that time, you know, Dr. Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay, have you heard of them? Mm -mm. She's mm -hmm. this little old lady. They're into, you know, self-help and relaxing. Is it radio or podcast or is it? Oh, no, it, it was CDs at the time. Of course it was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to so, act younger than I am. <laughs> So I told him, I, I was always saying, telling him, you know, you need to be listening to this so you can go to sleep. Okay, mom. So then I gave him this Louise Hay, mm -hmm. little old lady. <clears throat> Does that remind you of anybody, Tom? <laughs> what are you pointing at me for? <laughs> um, she she was, had a very soothing voice, so I gave him the CD or whatever. So he got up the next morning, and uh -oh. I'm like, so how did you, did it help? And he says, I never thought I'd be able to go to sleep listening to an old lady talk. <laughs> so, but he did go to sleep. So, but he used to drive a lot during those days. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But he never called us when he was doing that. No, he always called me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he would call whatever time, day or night. And he'd be in Flagstaff, and I'm like, seriously? And you want me to do what? Mm -hmm. I'm like, hit the hit the next exit. Yeah. You turn, head south. And and driving did help him, and and that was a theory he and I were working on. And I said, once I get through this year in Police Week, that's something I want to get back to, because he and I had already done some of the research talking to people when we were on Jason Schechterly's podcast. He, the two of them started that conversation, and Jason said that he still would get out and drive the city at night when he had anxiety and play music really loud. And we started asking guys at church that were police officers and, you know, and it's this almost light bulb moment in their head that they don't even realize they're doing it. And so that's something I want to continue to work on again. Chris will get the credit for it because he was the Guinea pig in it. I think it's because that's where they feel they have control. Right. It is. It's a comfortable place to be at. Too. Yes. Well, and they occupy all of their senses, and they're usually listening to music, a podcast, or something. So now the brain is occupied, and that's what lowers the anxiety, mm -hmm. because anxiety comes mostly from thoughts. And so when they can get in their comfort zone, which is their office, which is a vehicle, and then you take the ones, the crazy ones that wear the killer <laughs> boots and their motorcycles... Um, and we had talked to some that they get out on their motorcycle. Well, think about it. On a motorcycle, you have to be very well aware of everything around you. So you don't have time for the crazy thoughts that create the right. fear and activate the adrenaline to bring on the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, this is something we're, we're going to, we'll, we'll have at least two theories under our belt here at Under the Shield, and that's the Simmons theory of the psychological garbage can. And then we're going to have the Ferrara theory on dealing with anxiety. Anxiety. Because yep. that Driving was. Driving and anxiety. Yep. Because that was his, his big thing. And 
He really loved working with people who had the same issues he had. He could relate so well. Mm -hmm. And boy, he, you could see the ability to relate in here with them. Pace, pacing was another one of yes. his, but I know I went through a, you couldn't sit still. a medical thing and we would come down from the mountains and stay with he and his second wife and everything. And so then he'd be texting or calling Bill, mom's pacing. And that was because it was, you know, they couldn't figure out what was wrong and everything. And so that was probably a learned thing from me. <laughs> from me. Well, he was a little ADHD too now. Yeah. Come on. Let, OCD, but OCD. you know, I was that. And uh, his ADHD, he, he didn't do sitting very well. Mm -mm. And that's why he would get up in here in the middle of stuff and go wander around my house and hide <laughs> things and tie my shoelaces together. Mm -hmm. And Now, did he do that when you guys would have somebody on oh, the yeah. couch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Because oh, yeah. she couldn't leave, so then yeah. he could go do his Absolutely. And, and the Because I can tell you, yesterday, I wanted to get up, oh, but it, I didn't want to be rude. <laughs> oh, And now, go tie her shoelaces now, together. Chris would sit right here in a chair and walk right between us and just go wander around. And that, that Wednesday, before he died on Thursday night, Friday morning, <laughs> and Matt, one of our stress coaches from down the border, was sitting right there where Linda is with his wife. And I said, can you see what he's doing? And Matt's like leaning, looking, nope, he's out of sight. I went, he's gone to hide my shit. <laughs> and, and then I'd holler, Ferrar, get your ass in here. And he'd come walking in. I'd go, he's hiding my shit. And he'd go, she got no proof. Yeah. <laughs> and then found out that was the time he had tied my shoelaces. But, but he did that kind of stuff his whole life. I know. I can see. I it. know. I can remember when my mom and dad were watching the, the kids. They were older, and we went to our uh, Hawaii for our anniversary. Oh, my dad! I never saw my dad so mad <laughs> because they had bought this big fish aquarium, mm -hmm. and he said, "Don't you put that together while your mom and dad are gone." Wait. Well, guess what? <laughs> Watch this. They did. Oh boy! But my dad, he was like I said, he was furious. I'd never seen him that. That mad and Chris was just like grins. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> I used to hide stuff on my mom. Like when we'd get in trouble, she'd beat us with a wooden spoon. <laughs> oh, so you'd hide the wooden spoon. Yeah. So I hide I hid one time and I was little. We were my two sisters and I were sleeping out on our front porch that was screened in. And of course I got in trouble for something. And so mom went to the kitchen, but I had of already course, pre hid. Of and she couldn't find, and Ooh. she's slamming drawers. And my sister's like, oh, you're you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't like that. Yeah, like, did you, Chris ever tell you the story about me busting the yardstick over him, beating him? No. He my was dad, holding out on me. Oh, well, it's not what he said. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. He, he was doing something. You think something. he's going to embellish? No. Yeah. <laughs> and he... Uh, he started going up the steps and there was the railing and mm -hmm. I swung at him and the yardstick caught on the railing and busted it. But <laughs> my dad worked for a wholesale plumbing and heating thing and they had really thick yardsticks and it was one of them. So when he tells that to yeah, grandma sure. and grandpa, it was like this thick. Huh? Oh no, my dad never gave me another yardstick. He said, I'm not giving you one because you're beating the kids. I said, I am not. Beating kids. But 
you know, one of the things I think that really was probably hard for Chris, but it wound up being one of the best things that ever happened to him was when he got demoted. Yes. During that dark time. Yes. And it took him a while to, to realize it, though, but I think it really put him back in the best position he could have been in, first to help more people. Right. Yes. And well, I think he had some conflict in that sergeant role. He didn't really. I I truly, uh -huh. he never said it, but Bill and I both have talked about this. I don't think he liked it because mm -hmm. it took him from doing what he loved to do on the road yep. to filling out papers all the time and doing reports yes. and, inter, you know, giving people. You, you know, know what's funny is he told me that he was getting promoted mm -hmm. and then Right after he got promoted, we were talking. He's like, hey, I got promoted. And I'm like, congratulations. Buddy. And then after he got demoted, we ran into each other. I don't remember what we were doing. and But he was in uniform at work. And it could have been a call that, you know, that was on the board or something. Mm -hmm. Came to see if I was there. So I don't know who knows. But he didn't have sergeant stripes on. And I didn't say anything to him. Yep. Because I didn't want to make him feel uncomfortable. Sure. And we just... And we never talked about it. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, man. What happened? Yeah, what happened, Chris? Yeah. Well, and it was funny because, you know, the last probably year, they were asking him to test. And Ron Emery and I were like, we will beat you within an inch of your life. Because <laughs> yeah. it really gave him the best of both worlds. Well, right. that they, after he got killed, mm -hmm. someone said, you know, we were encouraging Chris to test again for sergeant. I said he wasn't going to. Nope. He was taken back. And so I uh, I said, we talked about it a lot. Mm -hmm. He said, I will not do it, Mom. He uh -oh. said, I can't do for other officers what I could if I was a sergeant. Right. And he said, oh, we could have worked that out. And I said, no. no. Chris, uh -uh. Chris said he would have had to report it, and yep. he would not have been able to help people. Well, and they would come to him because they knew he had the knowledge and experience of a sergeant, mm -hmm. but he no longer had the obligations right. of the sergeant. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was one of the things, once he realized that, then the demotion really, it, it, it took a whole different turn in his head as to his role. Mm -hmm. And he just really ran with that. Well, I know, I don't, Brady is the... Yes. Wonderful person. Our wonderful that, Dr. Wilson. Yes. And uh, I know he said to me once, because he was, you know, after Chris got killed, I was talking to him a lot. And he said, Chris was such an inspiration to me. Mm -hmm. He goes, he was? <laughs> an inspiration to you? He goes, yes. He said, I have never seen anybody, any of my patients work as hard as Chris did. That's right. And he said, he turned his life around 180 and he said a lot of them don't do that they become angry bitter mm -hmm. and he took he took the negative and and found the way to make it a positive in helping others and it's funny because the first presentation he did for one of our stress coach certifications and he came in and he brought this almost clown-like deck of cards that were so big. I have them. <laughs> and Linda, because uh, we were wondering where they were, and you just recently got mm -hmm. them from the kids. Mm -hmm. And it just made me laugh when you brought them to breakfast that morning because I just thought, 
I wish we had video of that because he's up there with his eight cards or nine cards, whatever it was, seven, 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 seven. showing all these, this card, that card, this one, and each one represented a different psychologist <laughs> in his whole thing. And, you know, he just had a way of presenting it that it, he wasn't being critical. He was just being factual. Right. About how this one and that one and the next one and, and all of that stuff. And it, it just, it resonated with people, his story. I, I think he was trying to make it so that people could really understand it, but yet it was kind of Chris's, but it's just all the BS that they have to go through. Yeah. And, you know, this one didn't want to do this because, oh, this might happen and everything. And yeah. it's, and then they, that's kind of why they wonder why cops don't go for help. Go for right. help. Well, Chris is a, well, I can't say he's a living example now. He was a living example of the hell that you had to go through yeah. in order to do that. Yes. And it's. Uh, and yeah. And what's bad is for an officer to get to the point where they reach out for help. Yes. Things are bad. Yes. And it shouldn't have to get that bad for us to reach out for help. That's what's. Well, and it shouldn't go even worse. Right. Once you do. Yeah. You shouldn't be disciplined for reaching out for help. And honestly, in those seven. I can honestly and truthfully say six of them were good. It was the first one that started this horrible situation of having to try to jump through hoops that the others were really good psychologists and people who didn't want to participate in something that was going to be negative to Chris until we got to Dr. Wilson, who knew how to then take the system and and it have it done right. Right. I know, but Correct. he he said, I have, I just did not know law enforcement. You know, he had no idea. Right. I, you know, he lives in his other world. Sure. And then to get into that world, it was a very eye-opening for him. And now that's, I think I've sent so many people. So now I don't think he does <laughs> anything like, about law enforcement now. I know. I, I'm like, periodically, I feel like I should text him and go, are you still speaking to me? Um, because he is amazing and he really has a heart. For these people. And again, I think all of this was God lined this stuff up for Chris to be the catalyst that got Dr. Wilson into all of our lives. And just he has left a mark that I don't think anybody else will ever leave. I know people have said to me, oh, don't get me wrong. I have my bad days, my bad times. Don't we all? But when somebody says, oh, you know that. And I said, you know what? I try to look at the legacy that Chris left. Yes. And what he would want us to do and what he was doing. Yes. And just to hear just the people that I, well, this person sitting here is a prime example. Absolutely. I can remember the day they came over. He loves to tell this story in our trainings too. <laughs> And he was breaking down and crying. He was hiding behind Tracy. She's talking wife. about me just yes. because nobody can see who she's looking yeah, at. Yeah, she's pointing at Tom I'm the bomb. pointing at Tom. <laughs> yes. And uh, he's like, because I said, are you getting therapy? Are you going to see? Are you talking to someone? Oh, yeah, somebody at the church. I said, no. Are you going to somebody that knows law enforcement? So I said, don't get me wrong. The church. Absolutely. Are, they've all got their place, but they don't understand law enforcement. Well, after I retire, I said, I'm going to go. I said, 
No. Nope. <laughs> you need. I, I you went need over. To go I took, see Susan. Now, I, let me paint this picture. I took. Hold I, on. Hold on. For the audience. Tom is how tall? 6'1". I'm not going to ask you to give us your weight, but anyway. Too much. Yeah. Okay. 200 and, much. Okay. And Linda is 5'4". And Oliver, if she's 100 pounds wet, I'd be yeah. shocked. It, yes. And so picture that. So you got this big old badass motor cop, or, you know, they all think they are, but anyway. Yeah. And then little Linda. Well, and I turned away from her when I first started crying. Yes. And hid behind Tracy, his wife. Well, yeah. Tracy put her hand on my arm like, hey, I'm, I'm here with you. Which, you know, she's very good at being a supporter for. Sure. For sure. Absolutely. But then Linda comes walking around. Little Linda. And walks right up to me and grabs onto me and gives me a hug. Yep. And that was it. And then we're both standing there crying for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> then I said, you need to call Susan. Yeah. And. And then we got a text the next morning saying from you, did mm -hmm. you call Susan yet? Here's her number. And basically if telling my wife, Tracy, too, if he doesn't call, I'm going to come take him there. <laughs> And in the trainings, when he tells the story, he goes, and I'm going to do what Linda tells me to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and that, I think that's what helps also continue the legacy. Chris's legacy is your sharing that with him, that he now comes in and picks up the torch and says, this meant something to Chris. So it's going to mean something to me. Well, I know what, I know what he went through. I understand it. Um, but seeing that he was able to come back and survive it the way he did. Absolutely. You know, that's testament to you, too. Well, um, because without you, who knows well, what would happen. And because I know he credits you for saving his life. So to me, that's. Well, he's I, near and I, near. I, I owed that to Chris as because he's my friend. And it's kind of like I told Brady, Dr. Wilson, that also. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of took him by surprise at the end of one of the sessions. I said, I love you, Brady. And he was like. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the next session, I said, I said to him, I said, I took you by surprise last time when I said, I love you, didn't I? And he goes, yeah, you did, Linda. And of course, I started crying. And same thing to her. I said, I want to thank you for giving us six more years of Chris because right. without that exactly we would not have had it. it right no doubt so he started crying I started crying and, <laughs> but and it's true I mean I I Bill and I have both talked about Susan right. and how she'd take phone calls from him anytime right. night or day but she's or, amazing what she does and how she does it yep. and that she understands our lifestyle it's I don't I don't I, and, I don't and, know how the hell you well, keep doing it but and I, I i can only give god all the credit because truthfully you know chris and i used to laugh because he took credit for he was the reason god moved me out here and I was, there were days i was like can i call you and cuss you out <laughs> you know it's 120 and, you know and uh and he was always so funny because he would call after we got through all the dark stuff and he's now part of the company and stuff and he'd call and there would be times i'd send him to voicemail at that point uh, never did before, and the t and the and the voice message would be, "I haven't had my dollar thirty five or twenty three or what." <laughs> he had it broken down to what they paid per officer, which is pennies on the dollar, and 
And so I'd call him back and I'd go, okay, you just got it. Click. And I'd hang up (laughs) and he'd call back and this would go back and forth. But, you know, honestly, uh, you know, Chris and I went through a lot together. There were times we would fuss and cry and cuss and laugh and all of it. And, uh, but the honor was all mine. It it really was. And, and Chris did the work, Uh, you know, he had to do the work, but I tell you, like at the funeral, uh, you know, I said that eulogy is one of the hardest things I will ever do in my life. But uh, like I talked about, I said the first time he sat down on a couch in my office, I wasn't in this office, and he folds his arms. And I was like, we're not going to have any of that (laughs) shit going on in here. And you'd have thought I'd pulled a gun on him because he immediately put his arms right down and looked at me like, oh, (laughs) I'm on the couch and I had my arms folded, so I guess I better unfold them. <laughs> but he um he was he was a special one. There's no question about it. And that's why I think this makes it all so hard for all of us. He was he was more than just an officer in my life at Under the Shield, but he really did feel like a son. Mm-hmm. And when and that was so funny at church. You know, I was visiting churches, and he finally said, why don't you come go with me? And I went, and one of the guys there on the security committee with him that has now moved to South Carolina came up. And you have to understand, Chris was only 11 years younger than me. And this guy came up, and he goes, oh, Chris, is this your mother? I wish y'all could have seen the look (laughs) on his face. And he's backing up, and he's going, Tim, you have no idea what you have just started (laughs) (laughs) And I said, you know, who knew that that would actually be one of the proudest things that someone ever said to me was that. And we we got a lot of good laughs out of it and we gave Tim a hard time about it. And (laughs) he he, uh, there'll never be another Chris Farrar, that's for sure. And we will never let his memory ever go. I know my our nephew that Chris was close to a, a good friend, <laughs> another good friend. <laughs> they talked a lot, and Chris mm-hmm. talked, you know, in his dark days and his good days and whatever and and everything. And when we called him to tell him that Chris had gotten killed or whatever, he was just like, "Yep, yeah, buddy, you just got to go out in style, don't yeah. you?" Because that was just Chris's way, yes. you know. And you know, we laughed about it because you have to find the things to laugh about, or you're crying all the time. You're not like Elijah. Yeah. Chariot on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, and, the, and that's the whole thing because he could have died from COVID. Mm-hmm. He had COVID. He yeah. could have died from the AFib. Yeah. You know, there were multiple times that Chris could have died that honestly and truthfully would not have been the way he would have picked if he had had a choice how to go out. Yeah. And I think that's why it was so important for me to know almost immediately what did transpire that night. Because the way I was told, it was like he got caught off guard. Yeah, that's what I thought first, and, too. And I knew that would be the the worst thing that could happen to Chris because he was always so fit and prepared. Yep. And to hear, as hard as it was, that he died with his gun in his hand but couldn't shoot because of the backdrop. There were officers there. But I knew he was in the fight. Yeah. That was really, I think, probably what, has made the entire event sure. uh, tolerable because had he gone out the way I was led to believe, I, I don't, I don't know how that would have impacted me. That's long-term. why, that's why Angela and Brian originally wanted to see Chris's body cam because they couldn't believe. And then that's when they finally talked him out of it, said, yes, you don't, 
want to right. see that. But I know I said after the funeral, and I said it numerous times, I didn't know Tom and Tracy before. I didn't really know you, Susan, right. other than meeting you in the, in the emergency room. <laughs> she was the other mother in the emergency room. But Chris had been married twice, divorced, mm -hmm. and whatever. Um, they... Get in a moment here. Sure. Yeah. We're entitled. Everybody that was at that funeral mm -hmm. and from our good friends that they grew up together. Chris saved Scott Hansen's life one year out in California, and that's what she had mentioned. Uh, she said, I feel like I've lost a son, Linda. Mm -hmm. But Bill and I were saying, it's almost like Chris was gathering all these people, yes, these beautiful people to support us, because he knew he was not going to be here. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, I, I hope this podcast will serve as a motivator to other officers and families that are out there if they've lost their loved one or if you're someone out there who is struggling with issues from this job. Not mental illness, please. Right. Please hear us. We are not talking about mental illness here. Can the mental health world diagnose it that way? Absolutely. But that's not our thoughts and our beliefs. Chris was not mentally ill. Crazy? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but y'all come out that way. Um, and that's what why we talk about y'all are already out of the box. And the mental health world, because of the way they're structured, wants to put you in a box. Mm. And you're, you're not getting these people in a box. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of normalcy in the even the suicidal thoughts mm -hmm. Chris had. Um, the things that he talked about doing, and it's it's good people hurting. And again, like we started out the show talking about they're hesitant to get help. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're hoping agencies, departments, whatever around the country will start to hear us saying, this isn't about removing any resources. This is about bringing in additional resources. Right. And the three-tiered approach is something that people are starting departments and and insurance companies are starting to recognize are important that you have to have that peer support. There has to be people trained in peer support available. Then you have to have the stress coaches, which are the educators, and then the licensed mental health. They play a huge part here. Right. And but we've got to get them all working together. And nothing frustrates me more than to hear licensed people out here don't go to Susan Simmons. She's not licensed. You know what? What I do is, isn't what they do. It's it's apples and oranges. Yeah, it sure is. We never tell people not to go to licensed. We we tell them if it comes to things like medications, please let us try natural stuff first before we hit that level. Um, but I would never tell somebody if they can't walk in and said, I'm going to a psychologist or whoever, I would never tell them not to do that. Right. And I wish they wouldn't do that to us. There's room at the table for all of us. That was yeah. a, something Chris was big on, and he really pushed that. And look, the numbers are going up. They're not getting better. Something's missing, and that's why we've been so excited about this new contract because the, the professional liability insurance carriers are recognizing right. that what we have is not enough. Right, there's a gap. And they call us the missing link. And that's what we want departments to hear. We're not trying to take your EAP programs. At least they're not calling us Sasquatch. 
Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. All right, now you just gave Chris another idea. Um, now that'll okay, be the next I, thing. I don't know all this terminology. I'm guessing I'll learn it eventually. Um, but we want you to be motivated by Chris's story because that's what he would have wanted. That's why I said I thank God all the time that he got to tell his whole story in here because that's the only place that he's really gotten to tell his whole story start to finish. And that will live in infamy um, for people to refer to. We reference it in every training. We encourage people to listen to it. Episode 11. And yes. I, don't, I don't know, do they do any of this in the academy? Well. <laughs> very, very little. We have. Um, Tom and I, and, and actually Chris and I were scheduled to teach the Wednesday after he died at Phoenix. And we went in there anyway. Because that, that. I just from my perspective as a mother of his officer sure. and the ones that I have dealt with, sure. <laughs> I think that's the big, big, big missing piece it because is. they, they have they you know graduate and they've got these wonderful views. I'm gonna help yeah, people. You're I'm gonna to go out and rest people. And, and man, it disappears people. really fast because I've talked to somebody that was in that graduating class and they said they're already ready to quit. Yeah. And it's like, that's one thing. I mean, I don't know when or how or whatever, but I am so looking forward to that. Yep. And I guess it's because I feel like I'm really carrying Chris's legacy on if I can help people. Absolutely. And I would love to talk to any of them. And, and there are going to be times when, that you'll also be in the trainings with us. Because I think, I think spouses... And and sometimes officers have brought parents where they weren't married. They brought them to our training. And, uh, you know, I guess the frustration comes in is that there's a, a portion of the world out there, whether it's peer support or license, that is teaching a form of stress management that is somewhat outdated, um, certainly not as in-depth as what we teach. It's not that maybe their stuff isn't helpful at some level, but it does not go into all the things we do. It's interesting. We just spoke at a, a chief's accreditation conference here in Phoenix the other day, and they titled it law enforcement, mental wellness, a unique approach, because we do come at it from a very different place than others. But a lot of times what we hear is, Oh, we already teach that in the Academy, but it's not the same thing. And I wish that's the part we could get these academies to understand because we offer to go in for free. We don't charge new recruit classes because it's too important. And they need to know this stuff that they're going to feel certain ways that they're going to change a little bit yep. and, and that it's okay to reach out for help. Or if they notice, Hey, I heard them talk about this. I'm doing this now. Yes. I need to, I need to go get, Oh. And it needs to be, if anybody out there is a training sergeant in an academy, it needs to be at the end of the academy. We've been doing it, unfortunately, in the first yeah. two weeks. And they're just in shell shock. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know what they, they don't so know. They got so much shit being thrown out. They don't, <laughs> yes. know, they don't know their ass from the handbag. <laughs> exactly. And they're thinking, I'm different. It'll never happen to me. Right. But that's why it takes having a mother who's lost a son mm -hmm. speak out. It takes officers who've been there, done that. To speak out takes a spouse, former spouse, to speak out. Not something that comes out of a book. Mm -hmm. Needs the real life side of this stuff. 
And that's what we bring in. And like I said, we will teach for free in academies. Now, if we have to travel, you got to pay our, our travel. <laughs> <clears throat> but other than that, we, we want to get this into these academies. This is stuff that has to be hammered in. And what, what's interesting is I've had some of the Phoenix ones I have taught in the past. I've got one that I think was in an academy in 2019. And, um, that officer, uh, one of those officers actually started coming to me because she had reached out for help through department stuff and then realized she had a connection with me in that training and so started coming here before things got bad rather than waiting for it to get bad. Some of the young ones at Chandler, because of Chris, Literally, I had one walk in and and tell me I'm here because I don't want to get to the place where some of these old timers right. are. Mm-hmm. And Chris was thrilled. He loved that part of it because they trusted him. They knew where he had been because he shared his story. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing I told him when he went back to work. There was a lot of hesitation about Chris going back to work. A lot of concern. I get that. And all I would tell them is give him a chance. And all I told him is. You tell your story. Don't let somebody else tell it because they'll never tell it right. And that was something he took great pride in was telling it. It wasn't a moment of shame for him because he knew he was helping others with it. Mm -hmm. And that's why this missing link of the education factor between licensed and peer support is so important. And it's so simple. And I don't know why it seems like. Departments yeah, are hesitant. They're real hesitant, and it makes no sense. It's and, like when I first heard all your theories and, yes. and sat through the train, I was like, shit, this makes perfect sense. Sure. How come nobody else is saying this stuff? Right. But it really resonates with you. It hits home. It it It's exactly what an officer or even firefighter or military needs to hear because it's exactly what we're going through. And it, it and the families have to be a part. Right. Yeah. They're the first line of yeah. defense. Mm-hmm. So we are really encouraged and we're just so excited you're gonna be a part of this new, really new beginning for Under the Shield, July first, actually yeah. getting into an office where you're gonna be running um our fundraising as well as being a stress coach. And Tom's on board, whether he likes it or not. Um <laughs> and and I get one month vacations too, like you, Tom. Really? <laughs> Just like you had. She didn't say I could have another one though. Oh no, but you already had your you month. You had your month already. <laughs> she gets hers, absolutely. Two weeks, three days. Yeah. He's such a liar. <laughs> um, it was y'all go back and check. It was three podcasts. So what does that tell you? Uh-huh. It was at least three weeks. I left on a Tuesday. I don't care when you left. All I know is it was three podcasts. <laughs> but lending my hats off to you, dear, coming in here. And talking about your son, you know, I know you know how much I loved him. Yeah. And that's something we can share is that grief. And I'm going to miss those stupid phone messages you'd leave me. (laughs) I guess I can start doing that, Tom, if that'll make you feel. Well, yeah, but you won't see me like he did. He'd see me getting off the freeway on McQueen (laughs) and he'd call and he'd just leave me a message. Man, you look sexy on that motor. And he'd hang up. That's all he'd say. (laughs) Sometimes he would try to say it in a sexy voice and I would just hang up and delete it. But yeah. 
those are the things that we miss. Of course, I don't know why he's not picking on y'all because he keeps reminding me periodically that he's here. And, and like I said, I just wish he'd get off the Spanish kick. <laughs> Let's move on to something else. Now he'll come up with Farsi or German or uh, something. But um, Careful what you ask for. I know. Yeah. I know. I do have to watch that. But, um, but I, again, I do hope this episode can um, inspire people, motivate you. There is help. Get help. Um, Chris did. And when he died, I, I remember at the funeral being told he was the most decorated officer at, in the history of Chandler, Chandler. Police Department. But um, I think even more importantly, that would mean even more to him than the decorations is he was the most respected officer. And he had come from respect. He was not liked as a supervisor, as a sergeant. He was kind of a jerk. And he made his men's to, to people when he lost his stripes. And but boy, he came back from the very bottom where people didn't think he should come back to work. And his funeral spoke volumes. And I think tonight it's going to speak volumes too to the lives that he touched. And he would want that to carry on. And that's something that absolutely will always be a part of our story. Yes. Always. always. It has to be. It's the it's the legacy left that I know he's grinning from ear to ear. Yes, he is. As he's seen each person pick up. And if you're the out baton. there listening to this and you're hurting yourself, absolutely, Chris would tell you that there's help out there for you. Yes, you just have to reach out. Call us. You can you can turn your life around and you can get back to being good and healthy. Um, you just have to reach out and say, "I need help." And we call it post-traumatic stress growth. Right. And then in turn, you will grow and heal in helping others, whether it's being on our podcast, whether it's being a stress coach with us, whether it's being on your peer support team for your agency, whatever it is. And this goes for families too. Y'all are a major right. player in all of this. And I think we've spent too many years separating personal and professional, and we cannot afford to do that any longer. Right. It has been detrimental from the beginning, and it's only going to get more so that way. And so reach out. Again, we will never ask your name. Right. We're not going to ask you who you work for. Yeah, if you're worried about your department finding out, well, they're not going to from us. Not at all. No. And, and Tom can attest to we've <laughs> had people at conferences walk up and know me and hug me, and I ain't got a clue who they are because I don't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> and again, if you're afraid, give us your chief's name, give us your sheriff's yeah. name, give us make your mayor's name, name. make matter. up a name. Um, but just reach out, get yes. some help, yes. talk to somebody, even if it's not us, talk to somebody. Absolutely. And our toll-free number 24-7, and you will get one of us, more than likely me, uh, 855-889-2348. If you hit extension one, which is immediate assistance, um, we don't even have your phone number. The crisis line that you're calling is the number that pops up on our phones. If you hit my extension, if I am in session and can't get to the phone, you'll will get voicemail. Um, leave me a message. Uh, you can also call my cell, uh, area code 334 324-3570. I tell most people text me during the day because if I'm in session or teaching or whatever, I can check text before I get to voicemail. Voicemail could come late at night. And if you're on the East coast, you're three hours mm -hmm. ahead of me. 
I'll be calling you at two in the morning or something, but uh, text me because I can always step out and and uh, help right then or get you to a stress coach. We have them all over the country, two in Canada. Uh, that's going to be growing. We hope um, we will have our next stress coach certification here in Chandler, Arizona, June 20th. Uh, if you're interested in information on that, you can email me at susan.simmons, S-I-M-O-N-S, at undertheshield.com. We'll get the information to you. And if you call our crisis line and you want to speak with me, just hit my extension and it'll roll right to me. If for some reason I don't answer, leave me a message. I'll get right back with you. Or you can call my personal cell phone, and that's 480-861-6574. And we are serious about this. Um, I work seven days a week, pretty much 24-7 and 365 and so you're not going to bother me. I don't want to hear. I didn't want to bother right. you on your my cell. Is I, I'm giving it to you for this reason. Call us. And if you don't want to talk to me, you want to talk to Tom, you want to talk to Linda. If there's a mom or dad out there going through either something similar or fears of this, we can connect you with Linda. And um, I would love to talk to you. I know you would. And again, in just another month and a half, two months, she'll be one of our stress coaches. And this is how she, she's really fixing to learn about the healing and helping because there is a lot of healing in helping. Yep. And sadly, we have to have been in all the different positions we've all been in, in order to be able to provide that help. So we thank you for joining in again. Um, next week will be a mystery because I don't remember. I know we have somebody scheduled, um, but I don't remember who it is. <laughs> that's what keeps us interesting around here Uh, but we thank you for what you do we thank you for the sacrifices you make especially the families out there Uh, Linda thank you so much for coming on here you know I love you we are are sisters in this as mothers to that crazy man we both loved and we will make sure his legacy continues on forever and I'd like to tell anybody that's out there listening I love you I don't say that lightly. Nope, she doesn't. I pray every day for your safety, for you men and women in law enforcement, first responders, military, and I would love to meet you. Yes. So So reach out to us. God bless you. God bless your families in this great nation that we live in. And we love you. And come back and visit us again next week.